Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your hosts, Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Welcome to another edition of the Disciples Men's Podcast. Glad to have you with us on this episode. And as always, uh, I am your Associate Director of Disciples Men, Alex Ruth, and we have with us Greg Alexander, who's the Director of Disciples Men. Greg, good to be talking to you. It's great to be with you, too. Let's kind of recap what's going on, maybe uh, give a little bit of a hint of, of some of the things that are happening in the world of Disciples Men. Um, and that will set the stage for what's going to be the next little series of our podcasts um, over the coming weeks. Yeah, sounds good. Um, one of the things that we were able to do that we had not been able to do because of, because of COVID was we finally had a face-to-face meeting of the Executive Committee of the uh, General Conference of Disciples Men, and it was a wonderful meeting. It was great to be with these fellas, and uh, some of them... I had never met in person. Uh, right. They'd come on uh, since uh, uh, with, since we went into lockdown with COVID and uh, turned out great guys, wonderful fellowship, and uh, got a lot of great work done. And so um, um, we did some foundational work for yep. changes uh, to our stuff in the future. All that stuff is still being processed. But uh, one of the things that we developed was some um, five kind of touchstones uh, that we believe are going to be foundational to whatever emerges from this conversation that we had uh, with these uh, with the executive committee of the General Conference of Disciples Men. And I'm going to let you fill us in on what those were. I'll be glad to do that. So we we did come up with five what we're calling touchstones. These are um, attributes that we think um, uh, define what it means to be um, a, a man, a disciples man, and and a, certainly a follower of Jesus Christ uh, as uh, uh, coming from our perspective. So they are, and in no particular order, um, loving. Uh, a disciples man is loving. They are a servant. They are faithful, compassionate, and Christ-like. And so over the next several episodes, five or six or seven or however long it takes us to get through these, um, if, if some of them take us a little bit longer, I w- would not be surprised. Uh, but we're going to talk through um, what those, uh, those five touchstones. So Today, we're going to take the first touchstone, loving, and discuss what it means uh, to us, uh, what we think it means to be a a loving man, a loving person uh, following Jesus Christ. It's it's an interesting way to begin, I think, Alex. The, uh, you know, loving, especially in our modern context has, uh, or postmodern context, I guess, our post-postmodern context. I'm not sure which, where we are anymore. I think probably post-postmodern or something. <laughs> Who knows? Loving has loving taken on what I would say a rather uh, hollow yes. and somewhat distorted understanding from the way 
I feel we are taught uh, what loving means, both uh, by the example of Jesus and really by the way uh, the faith story is told throughout both uh, testaments. Yes. And uh, uh, today it seems like loving loving has a very self-centered mm. dimension. You know, uh, I love you because of what you do for me. Right. Instead of I love you because you are. Right. And uh, you know when. Um, when you look at the role God plays in all of creation, you know, I mean, we are here because God decided to bring the cosmos into being. And um, from our perspective, I, you know, not putting words in your mouth, but, you know, from certainly the perspective we've assumed uh, as we've developed uh, the Jesus way materials is that uh, um, we see, you know, an all inclusiveness with God. And that, you know, that God's love is all inclusive. There is uh, God makes no distinction in any way, shape or form about who God loves. And, um, you know, every everything God created has value within the, you know, within the grand scheme of the cosmic realm. And uh, and so part of what it means to love is to love as we have been loved by God. Yes. And, you know, Jesus made that the first commandment. And and. To love as we've been loved by God essentially means that, um, you know, you don't have to do anything to earn my love. You know, you know, I don't set this, I don't set the parameters for what love means. Right. Um, God did. And God's uh, love is, is, um, is one that I love you because you are, because God found you worth bringing into Mm -hmm. existence. Yeah. And so, you know, again, that's just sort of like one part of this whole thing, but you know, we love because we were first loved by God, and uh, we love because everybody that there is there to love, we're also loved by God. Right. That's that's where I would start the conversation. Is uh, you know, with that broader context in mind. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, and I think you're you're right on with the hollowness or the um, as you said, self centeredness of love, at least in um society and culture as i experience it um at at the broader Mm -hmm. level one of the things that um i think might play into the conversation is how we as men express our appreciation and love for other people Um, we can certainly talk about our love for um, the environment and the created order and i think that those are important aspects Um, But sometimes, at least in my experience, um, uh, when I was younger, I I struggled with how I addressed other men with whom I held deep, deep friendships. Um, And it's probably been the better part of a decade now, maybe a little bit longer, uh, that I had uh, developed a friendship um, with another man by the name of Greg. Um, and we began, uh, to build a very deep friendship, um, that, that went beyond just, you know, a coworker or somebody that I ran into in the community, things like that. This bond became very deep and we began, um, to say, I love you a whole lot more than I certainly was comfortable with a young man growing up in the eighties and nineties. Um, and I think sometimes our, our 
brothers, uh, our siblings in faith, um, struggle with with how to express authentically um, our love for one another. Um, I, I know that's been meaningful to me to have a few few folks in my circle who I am perfectly comfortable um, in front of God and anyone saying, I, I love you and not, I love you, brother. I love you mm -hmm. simply. Uh, and I think we see some of that example uh, from Jesus uh, in, in the, in the Bible, uh, his love for, the, for us, for the disciples and encouragement for the disciples to show their faith through that love. I, I absolutely agree. And one of the things that uh, I have had some of the same experience, you know, the love language was not present in my household. I knew I was loved. That was never a question. And, uh, but that was not something that was verbalized. And certainly that was not verbalized among the guys, you know, right. and, uh, I don't know if this jives with your experience, but I can remember, and it really started, you know, when I began working in earnest with men's ministry back in the early nineties, I can remember that the love language began to be less um, unnerving to me. You know, the culture, the cultural baggage that I brought with that began to disappear when the men that I uh, grew comfortable saying, I love you too, were men who saw things in me I didn't know were there, mm. that their love for me sort of, I mean, I think it was mutual, but they, they knew how to love me in a way that made me better. Mm -hmm. And yes, then, then who I, who I thought I was. And that's because I saw in them, right. You know, a kind of man that I wanted to be they were very humble. They didn't, they, you know, again, they saw nothing, nothing of that in themselves. They were just being themselves. They're faithful men, but yet they had got to a place in their life where they were comfortable enough to love someone else into greater being and greater wholeness. And, and when I began to experience that kind of love from them, again, it wasn't that I did not love them before, but when I began to experience that deeper foundational love that they were providing me, I began to look at them differently and began to understand that there is a whole nother dimension of love. I'm not sure I ever allowed myself to acknowledge. Right. I think I experienced it. Right. I just never, just never acknowledged it. And um, again, I don't know if that's consistent with your experience or not, but that's, you know, one of the things that is part and parcel to all the work that you and I've done together is that we do understand that the basic part of the basic journey is helping everybody around us become all they can be and created them to be right and i think that that kind of love model and experience that sounds like you and i both experienced at certain times in our lives um have really helped shape us in yes. that direction and um i i would assume i'm assuming that that's partly true if not totally true for you too yeah it is very true and, and as you were talking i was thinking uh about what made that possible in my life? And I think for me, uh, see if this resonates with you, it was an ability to be vulnerable with other people. Um, because that, 
you know, the language of love does impart with it um, a vulnerability or an openness to the other that is pretty substantial, uh, you know, in our, um, in our relationships with our partners or our spouses, we love them and we open ourselves to them, you know, in, in a very real, tangible and intimate ways. And to shift to that same kind of language with other people in our lives, um, with good and healthy boundaries, but to shift it with that language to other people in our lives makes us also vulnerable and open to them. And so there's uh, a sense of something we've talked about before in that, that vulnerability becoming part of the mature masculine. So as we mature to that point, we're maybe better able to use that language and um, have those experiences. Right. And as you're talking, I'm thinking that part of the vulnerability for me began to emerge as I began to identify the uh, detrimental effect that patriarchy, living in a patriarchal yes. realm, had on certainly my formative years and, yes. and really up until, uh, you know, when I was in college, the times were beginning to change. And this was in the, you know, the early 70s for me. And by that time, you know, uh, patriarchy was being questioned by our generation in a huge way. And so, you know, the whole rule book was being rewritten in some sense for the role that men were to have in, you know, in, in general and in, in more particularly in relationship to women. And um, that required, that required a vulnerability right. that patriarchal society did not require of men. Right. Didn't require it. It flat works against. <laughs> yes, uh, it did. It, it keeps us in, comp uh, patriarchy tends to keep us in competition with one another. Right. Um, and as we've talked about before, you know, competition, iron sharpening iron can be a good thing, but, um, understanding that there is, that, that we're not playing a zero sum game when we're talking about issues of faith, you know, God's economy is not a zero sum economy, right? There is always more, there is always mm -hmm. more love to go around. There's always more. Um, grace to be experienced. Yes, there is. And, um, you know, that vulnerability is, is the, in my experience, and I think it's true for most, is that the more vulnerable, more vulnerable we become, the clearer um, the love that God intended us to experience becomes real in our lives. And um, yeah. the pretense disappears. Right. You know, the uh, you know, I can do all things by myself. You know, that reality sets in where we know that's not true. What a lie. Right. Right. Uh, but it also requires us to share. Hmm. And you don't share if you live in a scarcity mentality, which right. is something that's in, that, you know, that our culture has the world, I'm sure, has embraced um, in a huge and very disconcerting way. Uh, you know, we, we serve a God of abundance, you know, with God, there is no shortage. Right. <laughs> there can't be no shortage because he's, because God is God. Right. Right. And uh, by definition, you know, God, uh, God never runs dry, never runs out. And, um, and yet we allow ourselves to see ourselves in a world in which 
if you, if, and uh, you know, again, we, it's that zero sum balance. And so if you take a piece of the pie, there's less pie for me. And, uh, and vulnerable, becoming vulnerable helps you understand that that piece of pie, you're not going to miss. As a matter of fact, you're going to find joy in that person's enjoyment of the piece of pie. Yeah. And that makes that makes that pie taste so much better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is that uh, the beauty when we um, we put our emphasis on on the other. If the, if there is such a thing as other, um, which is probably another topic for another day, um, mm-hmm. but that person who is not self, if, if we put our focus and emphasis on their well-being, on their experience of um, God in this life, then all of a sudden, miraculously, we experience in a deep and profound way God's expression of God's presence in this world. Yeah. If you, this is probably a really goofy metaphor, but if you, if we see all of us as a, as a blank canvas when we come into the world. Right. And life experience begins to put the color and the form and the, and the imagery on that canvas. Patriarchy says, you know, that I have the right to control the color that, and the imagery that emerges on you, especially if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, racism, you know, says that, you know, that I have the right to control what appears on your canvas if you are a person of color. Right. If I'm, you know, again, as a, as a white uh, person. And, and how tragic that is, because the baseline of that is, is that if I give you color, you know, if the reds and the blues and the yellows appear on your canvas, then they can't appear on mine. Right. I mean, what a goofy, goofy yeah. mindset that is. I mean, right. it's idiotic. But yet that seems to be the direction the world is going. Now, clearly there are some, there are some resources, you know, that become more scarce. Um, And that requires the human intelligence that we have to make sure that, you know, that that scarcity is, is, you know, does not, um, does not become, does not impact everybody. I mean, it, 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 you know, we learn how to manage that. Uh, but when it comes to the relational dynamics that we're talking about here, when it comes to love, uh, you know, there's plenty of blues and yellows and reds to go around for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I I guess part of the challenge, uh, and for me, it's it's an exciting challenge. Um, I, I don't view this as, as cumbersome. Um, it just, it adds a lot of depth to my experience of life. Uh, but it is navigating those areas where um, we live in a finite world, right? And there are only so much of certain resources to go around. There's only so much lamp. There's only so much water. There's only so much coal or fossil fuels or et cetera, et cetera. There's only so much of it on this planet, Um and so we do need to be good stewards of that. At the same time, we need to understand the grace and abundance that can show up in our relationships, where the, those limits are at least 
much there's much more love to go around there that we may not we're we're finite beings we can't love infinitely um but we can aspire to love as fully as we are capable that's right we can and i would say that part of the loving equation when it comes to uh, the finiteness that you just described is helping us and is is making sure that i understand that my wants are not impacting your needs right right and and that's that's the other thing that creates such huge imbalance is that we have declared that our wants is a right or, you know our rights are a want or our wants are a right that we have to exercise that imposes some limitation on you and what you are entitled to. Again, we, you know, again by all the classic uh, stereotypes that we've already we've already listed. And so, you know, if you're embraced in the love of God, we recognize that our wants are kind of irrelevant when it comes to the needs of all. Right. And you know what? Well, you know why? Why do I need five cars? you know, uh, you know, and a five bedroom house for two people. Right. You know, right. Why, why do I need all that? Well, you know, you know, if you're a billionaire, why do you need a home if you know, it's got 42 rooms and, you know, and six shots and, you know, and all of this kind of stuff and demand more. Right. And say, you know, I don't have enough. And, you know, your wants are creating an extraordinarily um, unjust and imbalance and you know, and how those resources are distributed that help meet the needs of others. Even for a lot of those folks, as we're discovering, even their own workplaces, the places where they own or manage or created, you know, there's uh, you know this hundreds and hundreds of percentage of differences between what the CEO and what the worker makes. And uh, you know, that's that's not love. You know, for the for the right. CEO to sit there and say, I love all my workers, you know, the, I couldn't make it without my workers, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's just garbage. Uh, you know, if you really loved, if you really loved your workers in the way that Jesus has defined love or the way God has defined love to Jesus, uh, then those inequities would be greatly reduced. I'm not saying, I'm not denying, you know, that different responsibilities earn different sums. That's yeah. fine. Uh, you know, again, that's, 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 that's good. But there's a, there's a, there is a point yeah. in which you move beyond into an, really an unjust kind of realm and find, try to find justification for your injustice. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a, an important point, something I wouldn't have necessarily thought of um, when we began this conversation, but the interplay between love and justice um in that because we are trying to love others as we have been loved we are i believe compelled by that activity by that desire to work towards a more just world for all people right and as you know, and you, some of the writings, you, you read some of the stuff that we've written together uh, that I've helped produce. And I do love the term just love, just hyphen love uh, yes. when they're talking about love, because love, love by definition is justice based. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't love another as God modeled love for us in Jesus Christ if it is not grounded in justice. Yeah. And it's just not possible then because then it becomes something other it becomes a self-serving uh, right. 
aspect of what it's not love. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, obsession or, or, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. But it's not, uh, it's not the kind of love that we're talking about and that we're wanting to model. We want it, we're wanting to weave into our understanding of the future of men's ministry as disciple men. And it's a big leap. I mean, it's a big task that this committee yeah. wholeheartedly, our executive committee wholeheartedly embraced. I mean, these Absolutely. are their words. They're not ours. Right. Let's be real clear about that. This, these are these are faithful disciple men who are saying, this is what we want to be about, you know, from right. going forth from, from now, and that we've tried to be about, but we want to claim this is who we are and what our ministry will be about as we move into the future of disciple men. And I, I just can't applaud them enough for, yeah, I agree. for that expression of faithfulness. I agree. It, it, it was... Uh... It was quite a privilege to be able to to sit amongst uh, a group of guys thinking about um, what does it mean? How do we best describe ourselves? And then and, and then we got into the nuts and bolts of how does that become a reality? How do we uh, we live out this expectation uh, in the world? Uh, mm -hmm. And and part of that was going back to these five touchstones. We live it out by being loving people, by being faithful people, by being compassionate people, um, by being probably the hardest one and the easiest one at the same time is to being Christ-like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which we will get into in a future episode of, of what does that really mean? What does that look like? How does that right. uh, impact us? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was really humbled and honored to be a part of that conversation because uh, we all take it very seriously you know th this is important we believe this is important vital work um that, that we need to be doing and supporting one another in uh, yeah and i i share that same privilege you know, that thought of yeah. privilege that uh, we were given you know and, and you know the bottom line is is that you know jesus made it clear you know, love has three components. You love God, you love self as God loves you, and you love neighbor as you've been loved by God and as you love yourself. Yeah. And those are meaty, those are meaty concepts. Yeah. And uh, they require a lot of work, not, not because loving is hard, but because getting out of our own way and our getting getting out of our own distorted sense of self and what love, what love loving me means, right. what I think it should mean to you, overcoming those um, cultural traps and and uh, family histories, you know, of how that has been defined for us is is really huge work. But you and I both know that there's nothing, there's no greater reward oh, than when you are on that journey. <laughs> yeah there's just and, no greater reward and to be able to do that uh you know, a, lot of, a lot of our jesus way materials are aimed at this right the, to be able to do this in the company of others who are seeking to do the same thing so we're not just others other, other men yeah. other men uh, yeah and, uh, uh, yeah we're we're doing this work with other men other faithful followers of jesus um, who are seeking to be who God is calling them to be, to love in the world the way we have been loved by God. 
Um, and that, that accountability and that support um, is from my perspective, essential, foundational. Um, because without it, we, we, it is for us, the lines on the road or the ditches on the side of the road that kind of keep us, keep us centered so that we're not running off into some crazy field. Um, You know, it it is that fellowship that is so essential to the work that we do to develop ourselves uh, and one another in, in the image of Jesus. And what we witnessed there's a model for this. So we witnessed at the general conference meeting because clearly every man in that room was at a different place. Yeah. Each of them would have described love differently. Each one of them had different levels of inclusiveness as to how far their love would reach. Right. And all that, all that were products, you know, were the products of their past that brought them to the point. But the beautiful thing was, is not a one of them wanted to stop there. Right. Everyone was open. Everyone was embracing of the, the differences of the other and knew that in time, if we worked hard enough together, that God would show us the way we're all supposed to travel. Not Greg's way, not Alex's way, right? but the way God wants all of us to travel together. And we will, we will manifest that in different ways. We will love, we will love others as, as the gifts and graces that are uniquely our own get expressed. Yes. But when you put 10 guys together, walking in a common direction, and now you've got a plethora of gifts and graces that dwarf my own right. that can be given to the world. And right. imagine the change that can exhibit if you've got 10 guys, open hearts and minds, really doing, doing the work that God has set them to do, moving in a direction, moving in a common direction, and, and just watch. Just watch what God can achieve, you know, through that, that kind of movement. And uh, that's, what, that's, what, that's what was coming out. That's what you and I got to witness as, mm-hmm. as um, sort of the interlopers in one sense of, that, of those conversations. And uh, that's why we do the work we do. That's why we give our time, you know, to, this, to the ministry of disciples men. Yeah, it is important. And it certainly gives... I think I can speak for both of us. It gives us lots of energy and enjoyment and satisfaction and all sorts of things. Um, fulfillment to be able to, uh, to be about this work, uh, yeah. because it is important work. And we are seeing the transformation in not only our own lives, uh, but in the lives of so many other folks who are so many other men who are seeking to follow after um, yeah. Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. I want to, before we wrap up, I want to put one uh, kind of plug in is yeah. that to one, one things that we haven't discussed um, uh, for quite a long time is, uh, well, I guess we haven't discussed at all, is that you and I have been working hard to revamp the Jesus way. You know, yes. we, we released it and we've gotten the feedback from people who have used it now. We've done our own, you know, work of going back through it and recognizing some of its limitations. And that we are in the process of wrapping up, you know, yes. a rewrite that makes the Jesus way journey, I think, much more, a much better journey. And it does reflect this conversation. You know, yes. the, all five touchstones are, are clearly uh, emerge in, uh, in the Jesus way. And that's not something you and I claim. That's something the executive committee claimed for us. Yes. 
Yes. And was that too was quite humbling to see, um, to see their support of, of this work and their willingness to, you know, help us all embrace this in a more holistic way. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, loving is a great place to start. You know, when we talk about uh, these uh, foundational elements, these touchstones for the work we're going to be doing today it and in is, the future. It, it is, uh, it, it's probably found it, it was good that it was first on the list. It's, it is a foundational topic. Uh, yes. it, yeah. it does define who we are in relationship to one another and to God. Um, and that is an, an important place to start. So yeah, great. absolutely. Thank, thank you for the conversation today. It's been great. Um, and I hope the rest of you will join us for another edition as we tackle more of the touchstones uh, here in the near future on the Silent Man podcast. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through DisciplesHomeMissions.org.